You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Dogs, charitable theater, and seeing ourselves. What do these three things have in common? Find out on today's podcast episode. I'm your host, Sean Chandler, and you're listening to Your Program is Your Ticket, a discussion of smaller theater works and the people and organizations that make it happen. Today's guest is Erin Kronikin from the Seeing Place Theater, and she is part of the continuation of a series called Act Two Places, which gives theater folks an opportunity to discuss the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic on them and their organizations, as well as their plans for reemergence. The Seeing Place Theater is producing a virtual production of Liz Duffy Adams' irreverent post-apocalyptic play, Dog Act. Fully produced on Zoom, complete with costumes, sets, and sound design, and starring members of their illustrious ensemble, comprised of actors from the BIPOC, disabled, LGBTQIA, and immigrant communities, and 75% are women or non-binary. How great is that? Keep in mind that our interviews are recorded at different times to optimize schedules, just in case the audio sounds different. I'm super excited for the interview, so without further ado, here she is. Hi, Erin, and welcome to your program, Is Your Ticket. Hi, it's so great to be on with you. It's my pleasure. I'm so I'm so glad to have you here. I was reading all about uh, your theater company, and it sounds just just like such a wonderful uh, um, company that not only produces theater but nurtures artists and and helps the community in in so many ways. And I think that's really really cool. Thank you so much. It really uh, means a lot to us to be able to be doing something during this time. Indeed, right. <laughs> um, why don't we start by having you tell our listeners about yourself and your background? Okay. Well, I'm originally from San Diego. I moved uh, to New York about 15 and a half years ago. So I swear I'm a New Yorker now. I really am. Um, and uh, I have my theater degree from Pepperdine University. And uh, I have also worked uh, both in the corporate world, but also the nonprofit world in communications and marketing. So it seemed just natural for me to kind of combine that day job experience with um, running a theater company. So now I'm the executive artistic director of the Scene Place Theater, and we've been around for 11 years here in New York City. Um, outside of that, I've got two dogs love to play with the dogs. I'm a very big dog person. I love to sing. And I'm also an actor outside of the producing. So I act outside of um, the scene place, but the scene place really is my artistic home. Cool. Quite the actor. I mean, your resume is like, like two and a half printed from the internet pages <laughs> long. You've done, you've done quite a bit now. So you are a Southern California OG, just like me. Oh, wow. Right. Now, did you go to Pepperdine in Malibu? Yes, I did. Okay, cool. Um, I you say you were you were were you born and raised in San Diego? No, no, actually, I was a military brat. So up ah. until the age of eight, we lived all over, including Belgium. I lived in Belgium for three years, so I was cool. an American immigrant in um, in Brussels. Um, but uh, we settled in San Diego uh, when I was eight. Very much a military city, yes. if you yes, will. It is. Yeah, yeah. My sister lived there uh, for a long time until she moved to Alabama. I was born in Huntington Park and raised in Downey, California. Very nice. Yeah, not sure if you're familiar with either one of those. I am. Strange story. One of my rescue dogs is from Downey. Oh, really? 
Yep. Yeah. Cool. Cool. It's it's mostly known for being the birthplace and now death place of one of the carpenters. Oh, I, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting because in Downey, there's there's two apartment complexes that are right across the street from each other, and they have those like stone steps, like those outdoor stone steps with the, with the grating that's your handle. Yes. And on one one side, the grating says, "We've only just begun." And on the other side, it says close to you on the other apartment across the street. That's I just, know. that's just heartbreaking. <laughs> right. <with> yeah. <laughs> okay. So, sorry. I don't want to bum you out right off the bat, oh, but okay. I figured, you know, we've, we've got the, we've got the connection here. So um, anyways, um, what inspired the creation of the scene place theater? Tell us about that. It really started um, because there weren't that many places. There are some, but there weren't that many places in uh, New York that celebrated the actor as an ensemble theater artist. Most theater companies uh, in the city seem to be driven by either directors or writers, which is wonderful, and they have their place here. But we wanted a place where we could do the kinds of plays that we felt celebrated um, the actor's voice, Mm-hmm. ways that we could do plays and put our own interpretation and our own spin on them based on what's going on in uh, society. And um, and we couldn't really find those. And there were plays, you know, there are plays that we studied in college or that we, we see on Broadway and we'd love to do, but there's no possibility of doing them. Very few theater companies in New York are doing published works. It's almost all the celebration of new work. So we thought, why don't we create a company that allows us to work with those master playwrights and bring plays back to see how they're reflected in the times as they are now. Um, and that that's really how it started. Very cool. Now you um, have, okay, so let's back up. Yesterday, I sent out, uh, I generally send out a script outline for people to, to look so they know what's going to happen throughout the show. Mm-hmm. And you had, uh, in the nicest of ways, told me that the, the theater company is called the Seeing Place Theater Company. Because I think I had written Seeing Place Theater Company. Now, there is a very, very specific reason for it being the Seeing Place yeah. Theater Company. And, and tell our tell our listeners what that is. Yes. So um, interestingly, the the word, this, the phrase, the Seeing Place, is the direct translation of the Greek word for theater. So theater literally means the place we go to see ourselves. That's so and, smart. I love yeah. that. It's so beautiful. And we thought, well, for sure, someone's got to own that name. Someone somewhere does. But we did our due diligence back in 2009 when we created the scene place and found that, no, no other theater company had named themselves that at that time. And not since that I noticed. Um, And so we jumped right on it. Now, was that your idea? No, that was my co-founder's idea. That was Brandon Walker. Tell us about Brandon. Uh, Brandon and I know each other from San Diego, although we both moved to New York City at different times. Um, They moved to New York City in 2007. I moved uh, here in 2005. But it was part of our kind of conversation 
about what kind of theater we were expecting to find when we moved to New York, what we were able to find. Both of us are equity actors and we had done regional work, but we're so tired of leaving New York City to do the kind of work we wanted to do. We wanted to see it here in the city. Um, Brandon, for many, many years, just loved to have play readings at their house. So we started getting together for play readings and eventually found a play that we thought, wow, we could produce this play. It was called The Crito Canvas um, by Keith Bunin and uh, decided that that would be our first production. But we didn't really know that we were going to start a theater company really at that time. But we had to come up with a company name if we wanted to fundraise, if we wanted a fiscal sponsor. We couldn't just do it under our own name. So Brandon came up with that that name. But uh, Brandon is the producing artistic director and I'm the executive artistic director. So we just split the producing duties directly down the middle. Um, and, uh, and then of course have a wonderful ensemble of artists who are also theater makers. That's great. And it's nice that you have a producing partner because um, I, one of the phrases that I have to say when one of my plays is being produced is there's a play in here somewhere that we're going to, that we're going to do at the end of all of this. Um, it's, it's a lot of work. And so it's nice to have, someone that you have history with um, to, to help you to, to, to share all of that. It can be, it could be a little overwhelming, don't you think? It sure can. I mean, with, and things keep changing, especially now during COVID that the, it's the wild, wild West again. And so everyone's just doing the best they can. And so things are changing on a dime and uh, you have to be able to roll with the punches and innovate and stay creative and stay optimistic so that's hard sometimes, especially when things are so traumatic for everybody uh, in our industry right now. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to discuss some points about COVID and your response to it a little later on. Uh, but for now, can you tell, tell us a little bit more about your mission? Um, I'm, I read through it and I, I, I love it, but it's, I want you to, to tell the audience about it. Sure. Well, I will, I'll read it first because um, I don't have it memorized, but um, the scene place is an actor driven social justice theater company dedicated to exploring the intersection between the actor's voice and the playwright's words by reinterpreting masterful works live and in the moment to make them relevant, visceral, truthful, and accessible to a modern audience. So essentially what that means is we are uh, an organic theater company um, in that we do not cement our choices in advance. We learn about the world of the play throughout our discovery period and our rehearsal period, which is about two months of work with our ensemble. And uh, we then figure out, well, how, what are the rules of this world that we live in? And then we play on the stage. And so one night, after the next night, the only thing that is the same are the playwright's words. So the playwright's mm -hmm. words stay the same, but we will, the blocking will be different just depending on what the actors are feeling like doing. They're not required to drink their tea on this particular line, unless of course the playwright states that that's what they're doing. Right. Um, and they're not required, certainly entering and exiting, we tend to do the same every night. And if there's certain light on the stage and not light elsewhere, you know, stay in the light maybe. <laughs> but uh, other than that, it's really a lived experience so that our audiences routinely say that they feel like when they're watching one of our shows that they're kind of spying on 
an intimate moment or an intimate play that they're, they're not really supposed to be watching because it's so intimate. Uh, and that's what the, that organic nature can provide. Um, and it allows us to bring in what is relevant about the actor who's playing the role, what's relevant about the society that we're living in right now. An example is, and I know we'll talk about this in a moment, um, the current play we're talking, uh, we're doing right now, um, there is the word Trump is in the play and it's used in the way that we know it prior to these four years or these 40 years, however long we've known about um, Donald Trump. But, uh, but that takes on a different weight. Feel it's four. It feels like 40, right? It really does. It does. It feels yeah, like, like everything's like times 10 with Donald Trump. <laughs> it does, but it takes on a different feel, right? When now that right. word means something different. So I'm allowed to, as the actor, respond to that. And I can do that organically in the moment, just depending on my mood, depending on how my, I'm working opposite my scene partner. Um, and so it's really an electric sort of uh, result that the audiences receive. Mm. Now, is that uh, style, is that based in any sort of type of school of acting? We train our ensemble, um, and our ensemble comes from a Stanislavski-based training system, which that also means they can come from Strasberg or Meisner or Stella Adler, really any of the American acting teachers who were derived from Stanislavski. Um, but certainly, um, Chekhov, you know, Michael Chekhov would still, would also be relevant and Meyerhold would also be relevant. Um, it's really, can the actor, um, use themselves as a, the source of the art as opposed to suggesting that the character is something different from them and that I'm going to be doing something completely different than who I am. So we try to include the actor. Um, we teach a lot of the tenets of Lee Strasberg because Lee Strasberg was the teacher of Stella Adler and also the teacher of Sanford Meisner. So it just seems natural to go to the source and then go beyond that to the source to Stanislavski and Vaktangov. Wow. That's that's incredible. I was going to say, when I was reading through your information, it felt kind of uh, Meisner to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's sort of, from what I understand, I mean, I'm a script writer, but I do know a little bit about the uh, acting disciplines. It, it it feels like, from what I've heard, I know he, ha- he has that sort of like um, improvisational, whatever you're feeling, you need to roll with it when you're on stage. Um, so... That, that was just my my interpretation of what I had read. Exactly. He also brought in the idea, at least this was in my training, because I'm a Meisner-trained actor as well, is the pinch-ouch theory, which is you don't say ouch unless someone pinches you, right? So sometimes actors will create something on a stage because they think it should be there, but it's not actually what's going on on stage with their scene partner. So the idea is that you don't say ouch, unless someone pinches you. So you really need to be connected with your scene partner and respond to what's actually happening because audience members are smart. They can sniff out in inauthentic acting from a mile away. Oh, sure. Everything is magnified on a stage. Um, I always tell people who, you know, they're just, they just like theater in general um, that if, you're watching two actors on stage and one of them drops, I don't know, a paper clip that they're supposed to be uh, using in the scene. You're going to focus on that paper clip. 
yes, until that paperclip is like worked back into it. Yeah, that's that's actually really that's that's actually really a, a smart way of doing it. Um, now, now, uh, is is that something that you've studied intensely, and so that it, it's it's prime it's the primary version of rehearsal and character development and um, uh, story development that you use the Meister technique? Is it what is the percentage if you would if you would have one a certain percentage of this a certain percentage of this if you had to verbalize that. I think each actor brings their own special mix depending on their training. We think that the actor's process um, is distinct from the rehearsal process. Hmm. So our rehearsal process is derived from some of the practices of the group theater, which was led by uh, Lee Strasberg. Um, But what the actor's going to do to bring themselves to life really depends on what their training is. We do try to provide a core of training to our, our artists. We get together once a week to train every single week. We've done so via Zoom throughout the entire pandemic. Um, and uh, we train so that we can create a rehearsal language that is um, unique and that everyone understands. And we can find a way when when uh, a Strasbourg-trained actor says one thing, like when they say sense memory, that is the exact same thing as imagination that a Meisner actor might talk about. Ah. So understanding that those words mean the same thing. And for our purposes in our rehearsal process, we're going to use sense memory as the, the terminology that we use just so that everybody's on the same page. But I can translate it in my own way, knowing that as a Meisner actor, I know that means imagination. That is so smart. I love that. I wish that like I, that, that you would make a key for me so that I know what everything means in each, in each, uh, in each discipline. Uh, That's, that's, that's really truly cool and amazing and probably extremely helpful that you know that and that you can say, this means imagination and, and, and you could connect the two schools of acting and performance together. That's really cool. I love it. Welcome. Um, Talk about your most current production of dog act. Yes. Oh, we're so excited about this play. A Dog Act is a wonderfully funny, uh, irreverent, and uh, unfortunately timely play by Liz Duffy Adams. Um, It premiered back in 2004, and Brandon Walker, who I mentioned earlier, was in one of the first full productions of this play in 2005 in San Diego. And so this has been on Brandon's list for quite a while, and we were looking for something that would speak to the times uh, with what we're dealing with in the pandemic. And the play happens to center around two uh, vaudevillians, who are traveling this wasteland in this sort of post-apocalyptic, what was once the United States of America and now is just burned out and um, fractioned, fractionated people just in different tribes all across the country. Um, And they're trying to find people to perform for. And most importantly, they're trying to get to China because they hear that the king of China wants to have vaudeville. And so they're trying so hard to travel. Um, And along the way, they meet some other vaudevillians and they also meet some scavengers. Um, The scavengers are the uh, reuse, recycle, replenish type of people who are going to use anything that they can, including 
really killing people if they have to in order to get what they need. So there is a little bit of danger in the play, but it is, uh, like I said, irreverent danger. And it speaks to this pandemic that we're dealing with. Also, interestingly, the vaudevillians in this play are held up as sort of sacred beings. They're known as being beings that should not be messed with. The scavengers know that if they kill a vaudevillian, they'll get into major trouble. It's just a a no-no across the board. But it's a mystery as to why. Why the vaudevillians? Why are they so special? And that is one of the mysteries that gets uncovered a little later in the play. Um, Another thing, the reason that the play is called Dog Act is because there is a character by the name of Dog. And Dog is a human who has voluntarily decided to demote himself to Dog. So this is a human being that presents as a dog, that acts like a dog. Um, and you do find out through the, the, the course of the play why that is. And it's a very compelling, very sad story uh, about why that is. But it's an interesting look this whole play at what happens to us when we're in crisis and how do we cope? What is the importance of storytelling to a society? Um, and really how can we laugh um, and, and seek entertainment so that we can kind of have a salve when things are ailing us, especially as they are right now during this pandemic. Wow. Now was this, play selected before the pandemic or as is it is it is it like covid selected i had uh, it is covid selected okay it's been something on our minds for a while but it never seemed as timely and as important as it does now Mm. Um, and that's not to say that it's not worth producing at other times because i think the whole point of the play is that I think each of us are always dealing with some sort of personal crisis at a, at a time or another, whether it's people going through a divorce or health issues or losing a job or having to move, just food insecurity, housing insecurity. There are so many issues that people are dealing with. And so um, you can you can take this this apocalypse that has happened prior to the play starting and really attribute it to anything in your life. And that's why it is so timely. Do you feel like it's um, a hopeful play as well? I do. I do. Uh, Because it tells us, I think by the end of the play, you start to see what's really important and you can start to apply that to your own life. Oh, that's excellent. Tell us a little bit more about playwright Liz Duffy Adams. Um, Liz Duffy Adams is, um, she lives, uh, as far as I understand it, I think she still lives in um, the East Village of New York City. And um, I'm excited to announce that we are um, actually going to be having Liz do a talkback panel with us on Thursday, February the 4th at 7 p.m. on Zoom. And we'll give all the information about the show and um, and about the website that you can sign up for that at. But um, she is, I'm pulling up her bio right now so that I can tell you even more about her. Um, she has had her play or premiered um, at the Women's Project Theater. And she said that it's been produced over 70 times wow. since premiering off-Broadway here in New York. She's a new dramatist alumnus. And uh, she's received the Lilly Award, the Women of Achievement Award, the New York Foundation for the Arts Fellowship, and the list just goes on and on. She's wonderful. She's been produced all around the country. Um, And you can find all of her plays on her website, which is lizduffyadams.com, 
or on the new play exchange. So newplayexchange.org. I really, really want to look into her because that your description of dog act sounds like something I would totally dig watching. Yeah. And it's the language in the play is heightened. If you think about mixing Shakespeare, the heightened aspects of Shakespeare with pop culture, like with current and modern references that gives you a sense of what the language is like. And I think knowing what I know of Shakespeare, you know, in Shakespeare's day, that was not highfalutin language that they had. Um, that was, uh, there were a lot of modern, um, it was very accessible to the groundlings. Um, and so for us today, we might think of it as being highbrow, but it was not highbrow um, in Shakespeare's time. And I, that this play reminds me of that too, because none of these characters are highbrow. These are uneducated. Most of the characters cannot read because this is in a post-apocalyptic world with very few books. It's a, you know, so it's, it's a, it's really wonderful language. Uh, for our listeners that are theater fans, but not necessarily deep theater aficionados, tell us what the Groundlings are or were. The Groundlings were, um, a lot of times they were poorer um, uh, citizens who would get to watch the plays, but they would stand. They would not get seats. So if you had a seat, then you had money. Um, otherwise, you would be in the front where now we would call that the orchestra section, which were good seats. But mm -hmm. they would just stand there um, right at the edge of the stage and watch the play from their standing position. And so it was considered to be the lower class people would be groundlings would be. Now I think that's all I would want to do is stand there and watch <laughs> a play from that position. But, yeah. Yeah, uh, and that's sort of where the Groundlings Improv Theater Troupe from Los Angeles lifted their name from yes. um, as, as well. Um, I've been to uh, that theater in London or or the latest version of that theater. From what I understand, the Old yes. Globe Theater has been like three or four different theaters and over time. And um, yeah, it's – I don't know if I'd want to, you know, stand down there all day in the hot sun. No, not <laughs> – not, and, not and, the way they did back then. Oh right. My. And that, that type of clothing. But um, but uh, if anybody ever has a chance to go to London, you should go to the to the Globe Theater. It really is cool. And, and the tour is great. And they have a sensational museum uh, attached to it that's, that's really beautiful. Um, now, this production is going to be virtual. It's going virtual on the Internet. Um, what have been some of the challenges of taking the play virtual and have there been any advantages to it? And if so, what are they? Oh my goodness. Well, there are a lot of challenges um, to putting things on zoom or, and having them be digitized in any way. Um, part of it is that you have your, obviously the actors are not in the same room together. So you lose a little bit of that spark um, that you might naturally have. But one of the things that you gain is a sense of intimacy uh, because now I'm looking into the camera and I'm looking at my scene partner, but I'm also looking directly at the audience. So the audience gets a feeling like I'm being, uh, that the connection is happening in a way that you wouldn't do in a live theater. I'm not going to stare at my audience in the eyes in the theater 
um, at least not for a long time. <laughs> um, and there are also some other technical considerations. Um, one of the things that's been an advantage is when we did uh, last summer, we did a Midsummer Night's Dream. And we found a way to use technology to create some of the magical elements of this play, including being able to put a um, uh, actual ass's head on a bottom, the weaver, um, not a costume piece, but a digital um, donkey head that moved and had a mouth that opened and closed when he spoke, um, that had ears that moved. Um, we were able to turn the fairies into actual fairies who flew around the screen. Uh, Titania and Oberon had glowing eyes like the, the kings and queens of the fairies that they were. Um, and we were able to do this with these fantastical backgrounds as well to show that we were in fairyland. And it was uh, so much fun. And that, that kind of that kind of technology just isn't as available, certainly not um, at the smaller theaters in New York City. I'm sure that, um, you know, Julie Taymor's version of Midsummer Night's Dream was just as luscious, but still not without this kind of technology. But then we run into other difficulties, like um, uh, Dog Act has five original songs, and trying to figure out how to have songs on Zoom with the latency issues, which is, the, you know, the uh, when I speak, there's a little bit of a lag time between when my my scene partner hears me. It all works itself out in the end when we're speaking, but when music is involved, it becomes really obvious. So we're working with a couple of different software companies to make sure that we're able to have music where it's not so distracting. Um, and that's a challenge, but I think we're up for that challenge. That's actually been mentioned many times on the series uh, that I'm doing at two places dealing with uh, COVID and the issues it, rise, it raises in um, in the theater community. A lot of people have said music yeah. is is a huge challenge. Um, I've talked about this before, but in, in my, I have a, wrote a musical called Running and we decided to uh, record five songs, each five characters, a solo for each. And, it was insane. I'm thinking, oh, well, we'll just have somebody playing, you know, they'll play the song in the background. And they're like, no, no, you don't do it that way. I mean, it's it's like creating like uh, um, just the bass music for it and having something called a click track and having, you know, the person sing to the click track and then putting in the real. I mean, it's I have a video of it on my running page, if anybody is interested in, in where I break it all down, but it is, it's, it's insane how. I know there would be something created where musicians could be synced up and not have that issue. But the, we have found um, if you, we can't do music live mm -hmm. unless the person is accompanying themselves. Yeah. Um, even still the music, depending if you're playing a guitar we were trying to use a fiddle. Um, it, it depends on how loud the instrument is because sometimes that will drown out the voice. Mm -hmm. And so you'll only hear one or the other. Um, but we have found that if we use the, the program QLab, ah. which is a program that you can run sound and um, lighting through, which we do when we're in uh, regular theaters, um, the music plays directly through Zoom. 
and then there's no latency issue for the singer. So we still can't have two singers sing together and be synced up, but you could do solo stuff that way. And that's what we're attempting to do. We have a tech rehearsal tonight where we're going to put it all together and hope for the best. No way. Really? Yeah, yeah I think we're going to be okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. I would yeah, love to... Try. I'd love to hear how that goes because I've had so many people bring that up because they're doing musicals or or, yeah. or plays with music, um, which I think is maybe a little easier because you have time in between to speak. Yes. But that's I didn't I've never heard that QLab has that capability. I've used QLab before many times, but that's that's really awesome. Look at yeah. you teaching everybody things. Oh my goodness. That's what we do. That's what we do at the single place. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> um, how is, we talked about this a little earlier before, but how is the seeing place theater responding to the COVID-19 pandemic overall? Um, talk about that first day. And I'm sure you know what day I'm talking about. Everybody does. We all learned of the shutdown and how you've, grown and developed the company as a result. We, you know, we get together on Monday nights. Um, and so we didn't talk to our ensemble about it until that, that Monday night that was, um, after the shutdown. Um, and so we had a couple of days to really think about stuff. Uh, we knew already that zoom was something that was out there. We had used it for other purposes prior to that. So we requested that everybody join us on zoom. And that was just a whole new digital, you know, frustration for everyone. Um, and we just were concerned at that moment because nobody thought that theater was going to be shut down for any more than maybe a month. Right. Right. And we had, we were, we had just closed a production about uh, two weeks prior to that. And so we were just thinking about our next production and uh, trying to figure out, well, what we were, how are we going to do this? Um, and so we as a group kind of said, well, why don't we just start rehearsing and we'll rehearse on Zoom and see where this goes. And then it became very clear. We were rehearsing Eugene Ionesco's Exit the King, mm. um, which is a very physical play. And we realized that we didn't really want to do a full production of this play without it being live. It just didn't seem right. It just didn't seem like something we could do um, as a full production. Um, and uh, so ultimately we ended up canceling that production and of course, canceling the whole season. Um, but we were itching to do something, you know, um, we had a couple of people in our ensemble who ended up dropping from the ensemble because they were, um, that because zoom was just too difficult and too anxiety provoking. I think for a lot of artists, the idea of staring at themselves while they're trying to create is very confronting for them. Um, and also a lot of people moved out of New York and their priorities changed. So we had a little bit of attrition in the company, but once we solidified the group of people we had, we started to think about what could we do that might make a difference in the community. And, and not only do people want entertainment, of course they want that, but they can have that through Netflix. They can have that through Amazon prime. What does theater provide that 
those things don't. And what we provide as a theater company is the opportunity to take action, the opportunity to talk about what we're seeing and then take it into the world and make a difference with with the themes of the play that we're doing. Mm -hmm. And so we thought about, um, this was in June when we initially thought about doing something online um, in the midst of the protests. And we realized that uh, the play Dutchman had not been done in quite a while, um, which is a two-character play about race relations in the United States, uh -huh. um, written by uh, Leroy Jones, um, who then renamed, uh, changed his name to Amiri Baraka. Um, and we decided let's, it's a one, there's just one set, which is on a subway car. So we'll use sub, you know, um, backgrounds that are a subway car and we will do this play. We got the rights. We got, um, uh, we're, we're sanctioned by actors equity, able to do it. And, um, and then it was such, there weren't that many people at that time doing Zoom productions. I think people were doing play readings with their friends, but not for public consumption. They were still trying to figure it out. Right. Um, but very early on in July of 2020, that's when we started doing these productions as a part of a new series that we call Ripple for Change. And the Ripple for Change program, um, the idea behind it is um, this quote that um, comes from Tim Cook. And the quote is, you want to be a pebble in the pond that creates the ripple for change. So how can we take this theater and just drop a little pebble in the pond and make a change? So we pick a play that has a social justice focus, which we always have done. But in this particular case, we then partner with a nonprofit organization that is doing work in that area and donate 100% of the proceeds of the pro online production to that nonprofit. So, uh, for example, since Dog Act is set during a post-apocalyptic time with a lot of people with housing and food insecurity, these characters, we are benefiting the food pantry at St. Clement's Church. You're probably familiar with St. Clement's. They're right in Times Square on 46th, between 9th and 10th. Um, I am, yes. Yes, and they have a wonderful theater there. They're an arts ministry. They are pro-women, um, pro-LGBTQIA. Uh, um, they're just a wonderful, wonderful progressive um, church there that has this food pantry that could really use volunteers and could also use help with fundraising. So we thought we would benefit them for Dog Act. And then we finish it up by having a talkback panel with community leaders to talk about what's next. You've seen this play. That's all well and good. You've been entertained. But what do we do now? What do we do for people who are suffering um, in this particular theme of the play, in this case, it's who are people who are suffering from the pandemic. What can we do? What what are things that we can do as citizens if we are a little um, better off than some? Can we d donate time? Can we donate finances? Can we donate? Uh, what can we do? Can we get the word out somehow? Um, so that's that's what the Ripple for Change program is, and that's kind of how we've. Uh, to answer your very short question in a very long way, um, what we've done during this pandemic to try to um, ch change what we're doing to respond. That's amazing. Uh, I read here that you were named a recommended charity by the Stern 
the Stern Opportunity, a group of MBA scholars at NYC in their December 2020 roundup of their favorite places for people who are looking for ways to give back. That's amazing. Yes, we're, we're, we're thrilled. We're thrilled that people are starting to notice that theater is not just, you know, a lot of people have said that it's non-essential. And in fact, there was a poll out there that said actors are the least essential of all of the industries that there are. That one is the least essential. And um, I think that we're trying to show that artists are compassionate and creative and are wanting to make a difference. At least the actors we want to work with. Right. Uh, I, I love that you have a very inclusive nature to your um, your theater company. Um, Dog Act has an ensemble that's comprised of actors from the BIPOC, disabled, LGBTQIA, and immigrant communities, and 75% of them are women or non-binary. Yes. Wow. And that's, that's, that's a very, very high priority for you, right? It is. It is um, because it's important that we are telling stories from communities that are not um, being heard from quite as often. And not only that, but those five communities that you just mentioned are the makeup of our community of New York City. That is what our our city looks like. Mm -hmm. Um, And by having that commitment, it means that not only are we seeking out those audiences, those kinds of people to perform for, we're seeking out the stories by those people. So we're um, making sure that our the playwrights that we produce are also um, diverse in that way and that the artists that we work with are also diverse in that way. So when we are casting for our shows, we specifically are looking from people from these communities. And that does not discount people who are do not fall within those communities because that is... Um, that's part of our makeup as well. It's just that there are already a lot of straight white men um, and we have a few of them in our company. Um, So we don't have to specifically push for those because we know where to find them. It's these other communities that are less well-served that we have to really make sure that we make it clear that we are looking and we really mean it, you know, that we're really a safe, uh, safer space to be able to create work and that people will honor who you are. That's so excellent. I love that. I think that's amazing. Uh, Back to COVID, what has surprised you the most about your fellow artists' reaction to the COVID-19 crisis? What did did hit you that you had never even thought of and was just like a huge epiphany uh, that was brought upon by your your fellow artists? I think... um... I really took for granted my own comfort with the digital space. Um, I think what really surprised me was the prevailing feeling about Zoom is that it's taxing and that it is um, a little bit soul sucking and um, and very anxiety provoking for a lot of people. And it made me very humbled to learn um, that my excitement and my interest in constantly pushing forward and innovating is not how everyone is. And so it has taught me to take a step back and really listen to the people that I care about, the people that I want to work with, and how do we find ways to innovate um, and take that into account? Because I think, especially now, um, you add the difficulty with things like Zoom um, to 
the, the mental health issues that people are dealing with because of the pandemic, the mental health issues that people deal with even outside of a pandemic. And these are not things that we talk about. So the fact that we have an ensemble that it feels comfortable enough to say, hey, I'm a little zoomed out right now. I need to turn my camera off or I we have to uh, we you know find ways to accommodate people um, for the difficulties that they run into. Um, that was very eye opening for me. And I, I I'm saddened to say that I'm surprised by that. But I was at first, you know. Now, are these like the same actors who would be okay on a stage for hours on end, but you put them in front of the zoom camera and they get fatigued. Um, it, it, that's, that's interesting to me because it's, it's performing. It's just performing differently. And yeah. that, that would make me kind of go really. I mean, I feel like, I feel like it's very similar. Yeah, I think for some of us, and I'm, I'm the same way, I think for some of us it does just seem like a flip of a switch. But for some others, they really do derive a lot of their energy and motivation from the energy of other people, which is not, for some people, they can't get that through the screen. Mm. Um, and so I'm just learning how the biomechanics of people are actually working instead of how I think they work in my mind, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I'm going to say you're a very, very ambitious person. Yes. After having read all about you and interviewed you, I, I, I get the feeling that you are. I am as well. And one of the things I had to learn was um, everybody sort of needed their own time schedule to to bounce back and to get used to things and and uh, to get through their depression. Sometimes some people still are. So. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> I'm like uh, when the first when the when it first hit, I put out that I was willing to do an interview with people on Facebook. Usually, when I do that, I get you know a couple of people saying the show and all that. It was nobody responded at all, and I was I told my husband I was like, "What? How come?" And he said, "This just happened. Some people, some theater companies are just figuring out." what they're going to do tomorrow yeah, <laughs> with all the plans that they've made. Um, so yeah, I, I understand that I had to adjust my expectations for other people and let them process this the, the way that they, they needed to process. And uh, it's, it's, it, this is something that none of us have ever experienced unless we're, I, I, I don't know, 200 years old, which obviously that's not occurred unless we're turtles. But um, <laughs> so so it's it, it's awful, but it's also a learning process for us a little bit. Um, so so I totally understand that. Um, before we go, please give our audience your social media information so they can keep up with your company and buy tickets to dog act. If there's one or two places where they can go, um, you may want to mention that what that, you know, that feeds out into everything else. Mentioning that is fine. Great. Uh, I'll just give you two. Our social media is all the same, no matter where you go. It's the scene place as in scene with your eyeballs. Um, and uh, the website that you go to is the And that will feed you right into the dog act page. Oh, very, very cool. You guys have a great, great website. 
Thank you. It's very thorough. It's very organized. And it's, it's, it's awesome. It, it really lays out who you are, what you've done, what you're doing now, and what you're going to be doing in the future. And I think that that's, that's really amazing. So, well, I have to tell you, it's been uh, not just entertaining, but educational talking to oh, you today. You. I've learned so much about acting schools and, and um, uh, what was the other thing that I learned? that I was just, just blown away by. Anyways, I've learned a lot from you today and, and I'm glad that I got a chance to interview you. And um, I just hope that, that your incredible theater company uh, has great success with Dog Act and that you, you continue as long as we need to, to have great success virtually. And then after that, back on stage. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. I just, I very much enjoyed this interview. And um, uh, Aaron, thank you for being on the show. Uh, I wish you, as I said, many broken legs as we navigate our way towards the best future for theater. Thank you so much. Well, folks, the 11 o'clock number has been sung and the vows have been taken, so it's time to lower the curtain. Once again, a big thanks to the Seeing Place Theater's Executive Artistic Director, Erin Kronigan. She was amazing. You can find more episodes of Your Program is Your Ticket on the Broadway Podcast Network, who has honored me with a place on their incredible theater podcast platform. Broadway Podcast Network is all about creating an engaging, immersive, user-friendly experience where theater stories of all kinds can be easily found, shared, and enjoyed. Please visit them on my landing page at bpn.fm slash ypiyt. Again, that's bpn.fm slash ypiyt, which stands for Your Program is Your Ticket. How clever is that? Your Program is Your Ticket is also on Apple Podcasts, on Facebook at facebook.com, Your Program is Your Ticket, on Twitter at at Program Ticket, Instagram at Your Program is Your Ticket. I'm also on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, Podcast Addict, Podbean, Pocket Casts, Deezer, TuneIn, Listen Notes, and the UK-based theater platform Thespi. FYI, I appreciate all good ratings, reviews, and subscriptions. Just really helps out my profile, and I appreciate it. Folks, take a little time to visit theater websites and see what they have to offer as we transition through and out of this pandemic. Watch their content, give them all great ratings and reviews, and most importantly, donate, donate, donate. As always, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. And remember... Theater is for everyone. Hey, it's Leslie Udom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.